Welcome to the Open Apple Podcast, where we celebrate the Apple II. Whether you're a longtime user, a nostalgic visitor, or a newcomer to the community, join us as we share news and memories of Steve Wozniak's most famous personal computer. Hello and welcome to the Open Apple Podcast. This is show number 18 for August 2012. My name is Ken Gagney and I'm your host. Yes, that's right. Not co-host, but host. And that's one of three changes to this show that will occur this month only. We will be resuming our normal format and hosts in September 2012. First of all, as I mentioned, Mike McGinnis, one of the usual co-hosts of the show, is willing but unable to join us this month, so I'm going to step up to the plate and assume my rightful role as dictator of Open Apple. Second of all, I have not yet arrived home from Kansas Fest, and as a result, I don't have my usual audio setup, so this episode, you may hear a few more pops as a result of the microphone I am using. I apologize for that, but I assure you that our usual high standards of quality will resume in September 2012. And third of all, you're not going to have to listen to me talk by myself for the next hour and a half. This month, we have three very special guests for you. Let's let them introduce themselves. Contestant number one. Hi, I'm Wayne Arthurton from New York. Been an Apple II user since uh, 1980 and wish I could give my 1980 self all the Apple II hardware that I have today. Great to have you, contestant number one. Let's hear from contestant number two. Uh, hi, I'm Paul Hagstrom. I'm from Boston. And uh, my storage space for vintage computers is uh, diminishing rapidly. I'm sorry to hear that, contestant number two. And finally, contestant number three. Hi, I'm Jeremy Rand. I'm from Ottawa, Canada. I uh, became an Apple II user in 82 when uh, my dad and I built a 2-plus clone, which I'm sad to say is no longer with me. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, contestant number three. Well, thank you all for being on the show. And just as a matter of being on the show and having been to Kansas, you are all already winners. Yay. Let's get a little bit more depth to each of you. Uh, we're going to run this as a panel format, similar to the end-of-year roundtable we did back in December. So I'm going to be asking each of you about your background and your experience at Kansas Fest and giving you each a chance. Let's start with Mr. Paul Hagstrom. And Paul, why don't you tell me how you got into the Apple II in the first place? Let's see. I think uh, I basically I started uh, probably like a lot of people just uh, in, in elementary school, actually. So we moved to a new a new city in uh, 1981, and the school had a black Bell and Howell Apple II Plus, and uh, you know I stayed around after school playing with it, uh, pretty much more than anybody else. <laughs> so, uh, in fact, what was uh, kind of neat about that was they let me take it home with me for the summer, and uh, the sort of following year we got one of our own. So, um, pretty much been you know playing with these things ever since. Ever since, without break. There have been pauses. <laughs> but uh, I've pretty much always had an emulator running. I, uh, In fact, actually, I, even on my uh, Trio, not not so many years ago, there was a, a time I could type CO30 and it would click. Very nice. Let's talk to Jeremy from all the way from Canada. What got you into the Apple II in that foreign, strange land of yours? So, uh, yeah, I mentioned in 82, my dad and I built a, a 2 Plus clone. But what, what started that was I um, I saw the cover of a popular science magazine where uh, they had a Timex Sinclair for a hundred bucks. And I figured I, I had enough money to buy that, but my dad didn't think that was a good use of my money. Uh, didn't think it was uh, a, a very good computer. So he and I built a two plus from parts and uh, that was our computer till 86 when um, the GS came out and bought a GS. And that was my main computer till 95. I replaced it with a, a B box. And, uh, yeah, so I was an Apple II user as my primary computer 
till 95. And, and in the last couple of years, I've, I've had more space in my house. So I, uh, got all my old computers set up and I've kind of come back around to it. 95. That sounds like you were an Apple II user for longer than most. That was three years after Apple abandoned the platform. Yeah. I, uh, I was definitely a diehard. I was in, you know, finishing up university, uh, my cohorts, you know, at school were using 486s. I think there were some early Pentiums around and I was, I was using GNO and, uh, running, running long running simulations in the background and hoping it didn't crash. That sounds similar to my experience when I started as, uh, what we would call a college student, but I'll translate to Canadian, a university student. Uh, I too was taking computer science classes that required us to compile in Unix and rather than telling that into the mainframe, I was trying to use GNO. Didn't get very far though, so I very quickly switched to the Mac. And Mr. Wayne Arthurton, tell me about your Apple II history. Just like everyone else, I started uh, in elementary school. I was given the right to go at lunchtime up to the computer lab and use it as much as I want. We finally got one when I was in fourth or fifth grade, and we used that as a primary until 93 when I got a PC. And I would say within two or three months of getting a PC, I downloaded my first Apple II emulator and pretty much has, have either been using an emulator or some newly acquired hardware ever since. And what do you use the Apple II for nowadays? Now I, I like to look at old games. Uh, I love to still program basic and, and try to get it to do things that I didn't know how to do you know, 20 years ago, but I'm learning now. And just uh, generally, if I have some extra time to play around on the computer, that's that's kind of where I go to. But why bother learning things on the Apple II that you didn't know 20 years ago when you could be learning that in a more modernly applicable platform like Windows or JavaScript? Uh, I, I still like uh, the notion that one person uh, can know everything there is to know uh, about the, the Apple II, you know, especially the 8-bit side. You look at some of the people that we go to K-Fest with and, and see their knowledge of every memory location and opcode, and it's just something that I've always wanted to do, and I still want to do, and still kind of working towards even today. So let's stick with Wayne for a second. You recently attended Kansas Fest, as did we all, but unlike Jeremy and Paul, this was not your first Kansas Fest. Tell me about how long you've been away and what brought you back. I went in 2004 or 2005. Uh, for the first time, I had been on Genie and then on the uh, Syndicom online site. So I, I knew a lot of those people from the chat there. And being out in Indiana, it was the shortest distance that I had ever been to the event. So I just finally got in the car and drove out. And then just uh, a lot of moving and, and uh, personal reasons I couldn't go again uh, time after time. The summer's rather busy for me. Uh, and finally this year, uh, my plans to, to go on another vacation at the same time fell through, and uh, I decided that this was definitely the year to, to go back. So even though you had a vacation plan, it sucks that it fell through, but it was certainly to our benefit, and I hope to yours as well. Yeah, definitely. It was enjoyable. Now, you said that you're often busy on the summer, in the summers. Is that having to do with your job? And if so, may I ask what it is that you do? Uh, it's not really my job. We have a, we actually have a uh, place on Lake Ontario. So there's a, just a, a lot of work to, to do, 
uh, up at the uh, up at our camp. But for uh, for business, I'm uh, actually do uh, business intelligence, programming of reports, and uh, just generally allowing different type of, in our case, sales data to be queried in many different ways at one time. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, what about you, Paul? I understand that you have a job that's a little bit outside of IT. So what I do now is uh, teach linguistics at Boston University. Um, it's, you know, academic professor job. Um, and, yeah, I, I guess I really haven't had, a, a, you know, sort of specifically uh, IT-related job uh, since, I guess, well, since entering college. But, uh, well, that's not quite true. But uh, at any rate, the, you know, my main career has not been in IT, although I've pretty much managed to find some way to squeeze computers into uh, all of it. And how was it that you found time to squeeze Kansas Fest into your busy academic schedule? I basically, I had I had not heard of Kansas Fest really before. Um, I think it was pretty much just as of the ending of the previous one. Uh, I sort of had just kind of gotten a little bit back more into uh, the the Apple II world and had discovered Kansas Fest, didn't know it existed before, and it sort of seemed like the the kind of uh, neurotic fever pitch that I had reached in my uh, uh, you know re re-familiarizing myself with all the Apple II stuff, I, I just had to go. Because looking through my email records, it looks like you and I had never emailed prior to just this past January when you subscribed to Juice GS, and it's not often that somebody just suddenly arrives on this Apple II scene and subscribes to Juice GS, listens to Open Apple, goes to Kansas Fest. You really went at this retro computing hobby whole hog all at once. So about a year ago, uh, Jason Scott posted something. Uh, it was a, It was a, you know, sort of a a warning to say that, uh, I think it was called floppy disks, it's too late, uh, where he was basically saying, you know, you waited too long, now all those bits are gone. And, you know, I thought, well, that's not good. And, and so when I was back over the holidays, uh, to my childhood home where they, where my original Apple II plus clone actually was, uh, I started imaging things and didn't finish and decided, you know, I really, I have to do this. And so I bought a, an Apple II GS and then that's kind of, caused me to look again at, at kind of like what was going on in, in the uh, Apple II world. And there was enough going on that, that it sort of, it, it got me interested enough that I've sort of turned into a collector since, but, but right. And it, that was January. Um, I, I bought the 2GS, I subscribed, uh, and I, you know, reactivated my eBay account. <laughs> so you went from having how many Apple IIs to how many you have now? I probably should have counted, uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I actually had no uh, Apple IIs in Boston. Uh, I, I had gotten this GS set up in order to to just kind of like get started on this imaging thing. But uh, I had my the the two mach- the two Apple II Pluses, one a real one and one a clone that I used as a child was were sent out to me. And then by now I have nearly every you know, some representation of every model uh, of, in the 2 series as well as the 3 and, and you know, some other things, uh, Lisa and uh, and so forth. I, it, I've sort of gotten into the hardware collecting aspect of it as well. And most of them work or soon will. Wow, you really are running out of room. Yes. <laughs> and what about you, Jeremy? What prompted you to finally make your way down to make Kansas City, Missouri? Well, I'd heard of Kansas Fest um, over the years. When I was a, a student, I just didn't have the money. Uh, and then I kind of dropped out of the Apple II community after I uh, finished school and moved on to BOS and other things. And uh, so I kind of came back to it. And uh, honestly, I was listening to uh, 
the Retro Computing Roundtable. And uh, they were talking about how they were all going to go this year. And I literally paused the podcast and, and I and I thought for a moment, you know, I'd, I'd heard Earl on Retro Bits talking about how he'd love to go and didn't think he'd ever be able to go. And I think that kind of spurred me on. And, and, um, and I paused the podcast and I thought, why can't I go this year? And I came up with a way I could. And I did. So it was the opportunity to meet not the host of Open Apple, but RCR that motivated you. <laughs> I would think I think they inspired me to uh, to, to to try to go. It, it was uh, it was it was just a yeah, it was just some inspiration. I just needed a push. Right, nice save. So, <laughs> what were your expectations going to your first Kansas Fest? Were you expecting? to buy a whole bunch of new hardware, to be terrified by strangers? And what were you expecting? I mean, I assume you've been to other conferences before, so you probably thought you knew what you were getting yourself into. I'd be, you know, I've been to a bunch of kind of professional conferences, but I, I assumed it wouldn't be anything like that. You know, the numbers are different. The, the, uh, the, the topic is just entirely different. You know, um, the other things, you know, I've been to, I was to, at WWDC, for example, in 2010, which is Apple's developer conference. And, you know, you're one of, I don't know how many thousand of people uh, talking about iOS devices and things like that. Um, yeah, this was going to be a different event, a more uh, tight knit event, I assumed. And, and it was, it really was. It was, it was a chance to uh, meet with people who are of the same mind, who have kind of the same stories uh, and some different stories. Yeah, when I tell people I'm going to a small convention, they say, oh, so you mean like only a thousand people or so? <laughs> I'm like, no, that's actually pretty big. I mean, granted, we're no Comic-Con or PAX East or whatever, but mm, I think 50 would be a good number for us. And, you know, once you get past a certain size, it becomes difficult to make all the connections that are possible with a smaller crowd. That's right. That's right. And, you know, the environment is just so open. Um, I was thinking about it, you know, in, in other conferences I've been at, they're always hold, held at a, a hotel or something like that. And when you go into the hotel room, the, the door just closes, right? You can't stop it. Whereas in the dorm, almost every time you'd walk down the hall, everybody's doors would be open and you could, you know, see what was going on. You could join in. It was just a much more open feeling. You know, uh, uh, these larger conferences are more isolating. Even though there's these huge numbers, you just don't feel that you're connecting with anybody. Yeah, you're alone in the crowd. Yeah. And I suppose, theoretically, you could leave your hotel room door open, but that seems just a little bit creepy. Yeah, and, well, generally the hotel is not just conference guests either. You know, like, who knows who's on the floor with you. Right. It's just kind of weird. Now, given the size of Kansas Fest, did you get to meet our other contestants on this show today? Uh, yes, I did. Great. And does that go true for Paul and Wayne as well? Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, excellent. So I was worried I might have to belatedly introduce you to each other, but good. And Paul, what were your expectations going to Kansas Fest? I, th I felt like I had a fairly good sense of the kind of thing it was going to be, just from from kind of like watching the videos from previous times. Uh, also, thank you for putting those up and uh, uh, sort of reading about it. Um, so I, I went into it with with uh, pretty high expectations, but they were met. Uh, you know, I, I think it it, um, it was quite interesting to you know to meet the people behind the aliases in the in the IRC chat room or meet the people who were on the podcasts so um yeah it was it was uh, i mean i guess right it was it was pretty much as as i had expected very very um uh although 
possibly more diverse group uh, than I thought. You know, that the, the people sort of were from a little bit more all over uh, the, you know, just all over everything uh, than I had kind of expected. And not everybody was like me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're like you in the important ways. Right. If I could add to that, actually, um, I was surprised that, you know, I'm, I'm 41, 41, and I kind of assumed I would be about some of the younger of the, of the group. You know, the Apple II is, is an older computer, and there's a fair number of, of people that were younger than me, and, and I was, uh, I was a bit surprised to see that, and, and it's great. It's really great. Actually, I think you're the oldest person on this show right now, Jeremy. Yeah, probably. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, that is something that I commented about in JuiceGS recently was for about a decade running, I was the youngest unchaperoned attendee at Kansas Fest. And I'm no longer all that young, but nor am I the youngest person at Kansas Fest. We have people who are coming to this event right out of college. And on one hand, you want to say, what the heck are you doing at this event? Which is a question I got the first time I went. And on the other hand, that's not a question of you don't belong here. It's a question of we're so glad you belong here. It's just so unlikely that you are. And what about you, Wayne? You had been to Kansas Fest before. I think it was in 2004, because I remember seeing you at Avila before we switched to Rockhurst. What, how was the event different for you eight years later? My uh, my one disappointment was not uh, registering earlier to be able to get a room with a roommate and more on the on the busy side. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the last time I, I shared a room more in the center of things, so I had more people walking by. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just... Being able to ask anyone a question about something you've been struggling with, you know, on the Apple II for, you know, months or, or years and know what, not only do people know, not think you're crazy, but they, they, they even know the answer. Right. And, you know, also to bounce different ideas off of people and, you know, compare different hardwares and, and solutions. I mean, the big thing this year was alternative monitors that people were using. It was, it was nice to see. Uh, people using either converted, you know, some of those portable TVs or the dev- the adapter that digitizes and puts it into your computer as a display. Uh, a, a lot of that's in- really interesting to me. You know, and the, the other thing is, is being able to trade hardware around with, peop- with people like, uh, you know, trade a, an old disk drive for, you know, a, a no-slot clock and a joystick. You know, just being able to do those things where... There's no shipping and you know, waiting involved. It's just that that stuff that you've been trying to do for a long time is just so instantaneous and you know kind of develops a, a bond with the, the person that you're doing it with. Right, because on eBay, it's a rather faceless transaction. You never get to know the guy behind the username, and you never have a future relationship with them. But at Kansas Fest, we're all friends, and we don't want to give each other bad deals because we know that we're going to be seeing each other again. Wayne, can you tell me a little bit more about those alternative monitors? I saw some of what you're talking about, but I'm not familiar with, does it require custom hardware or anything like that, or is this something anybody can do? No, um, uh, there's a uh, a brand of TV called the A-X-I-O-N, Axion, that makes portable TVs, 9 inches, and I believe there might be a 6 or 5 inch, that works really, really well with a 2C. Uh, it doesn't suffer some of that, you know, that weird image display you get with text on, on some LCDs. And then the other thing, and I, I know Andy had tried it, Andy Malloy, as well as uh, 
couple other people that was a, there was a discussion online about using this digitizing board which can take in a composite in and put it on your computer screen so yes it, it through USB it does the digitizing but the the beauty of this one is the lag uh, is very very small so you can actually you know play games or or, or type without having a, a long delay between what happens on the Apple and what what displays on your on your Mac yeah because a laggy game like load runner or dangerous Dave that would just be impossible to play if there's a long gap between when you push the key and when your character acts right cool uh, Paul, what was some of the cool stuff that you saw at Kansas Fest as far as other people bringing hardware or software or whatever? Maybe I'll just point out uh, that I also had one of the, the Axion monitors. I, I had gotten one and, and brought it. Um, I, I brought actually when I when I brought just because I was flying, I, I I took apart my 2E and didn't bring the case. I just brought everything else. But the the Axion worked just fine on that and actually worked fine on the the Apple one I'll talk about or the replica one I'll talk about later I'm sure um, and it worked it, it they really worked pretty well and and uh because the monitors are going to die uh it's good to have some sort of alternative that can that you can use these things on but yeah as far as what I saw I, I well Tony's Tony's you know table was was of course a, a very interesting thing to look at uh, Tony Diaz brought up a lot of a lot of uh you know sort of prototypes and rare cards and you know a whole whole set of uh, ram expanding cards and things things that you probably wouldn't have had a chance to see uh I, he brought one of the Mark Twain GSs so that was that was neat to see um Mike actually it's too bad he wasn't uh, able to join us today he he I enjoyed seeing his his Apple 3 setup uh he had in the in his uh, Apple 3 he had the the um cards that can turn it into a 2 plus and a 2e and he had a had it hooked up to a color monitor it was it was I think it was kind of interesting to see just some of the some of the some of that kind of hardware setups that other people had uh, had put together and Jeremy what sort of cool stuff did you see at Kansas Fest 2012 well, I was actually going to talk a bit about uh, Mike's Apple III also. I'd never seen a three in person. Um, you know, I've, I've read about them. I've heard about them. One of the interesting things, he had it running, um, I think it was basically an Apple III demo. Um, and at one point, it had this kind of uh, uh, running horse thing. You know, it was like a bunch of uh, tiles of, of a running horse across the, uh, the screen. And apparently, it was all done using programmable character sets, which the Apple III supports. Um, so each part of the horse, I guess, was a character, and it was just blasting characters to the screen, um, which is kind of neat. Uh, I didn't know it could do that. And somebody else had taken a uh, an, an Intel PC, jammed it into a... Uh, I don't remember... I don't recall who whose this was, actually. Uh, jammed it into a, a GS case, and then got Mac OS X running on it, and then the thing boots up into Suite 16. It's, it's kind of like a 400 megahertz GS or something crazy. Very nice. Anybody remember whose that might have been? I don't recall. I don't think I even saw it. <laughs> so that's what you saw while you were roaming the halls during the nights and evenings. The daytime was mostly filled with uh, formal and structured sessions, uh, 9 to 5, Wednesday through Saturday or so. And Paul, what was one of the coolest sessions you saw? Hmm. Let's see. I think uh, yours, yours accepted, of course, um, which were great um actually I, I think i missed one of yours <laughs> i apologize for that well, but one of them was quite early in the day so that's sort of a session of death right there it was interesting to see the kind of the diversity of, of sessions um probably the one that sort of unexpectedly i don't know sort of got me enthusiastic was martin hayes uh, presentation on short uh that 
I kind of I didn't go into that sort of thinking much about it. You know, it was, it was sort of okay, a whole new environment. I'm not sure that I would be so interested in doing this. And and somehow he managed to present it in such a way that I left just dying to try it. And and of course, then I've been traveling, so I haven't had a chance. But uh, I I am still dying to try it. And I think that was probably one of the most. Um, it was the one that sort of had the most effect on me, but a lot of the, it was very, really very interesting to see many of the other sessions as well. Now, there will be a video of Martin's session posted eventually, but in the meantime, for those who weren't in attendance, can you summarize exactly what it was? Now, I'm not a programmer, so even though I attended the session, I may not have fully grokked it like you did. Well, and of course, uh, it's now been a little while and the, the details are fading. I think this is actually one of these things where um, you do need to kind of play with it before you, you appreciate it. So that was one of the things I think that helped a lot. Uh, his demo was sort of showing how how you can use it, you know, and, and I had never used this things, you know, his, uh, this is part of the Superman and Naked DOS project, and, and I hadn't used either of these things before. But... Uh, my recollection of it is at least that that uh, it's basically kind of a it's sort of like a mix between basic and assembler that that allows you to kind of flow naturally between the two it's a fairly small footprint programming language that you can just kind of type in so there's no there's it's the the good aspect of applesoft that you don't that you can just kind of change something and run it uh, and it also has it without the sort of assembly and uh, compiling a step in between it and it has a small library of functions that you can use like applesoft does uh but it it runs at um you know machine language speed so uh and it, it looks very natural, uh, you know. Just thinking about what it was like programming with either assembly or in, you know, six five zero two opcodes. This is beautiful. Uh, I wish this had existed back in the eighties. Yeah, I also have been uh, playing with it a bit uh, since then. I re- I've enjoyed Martin's sessions uh, ever since I started seeing them. And uh, when I got home, I started playing both with short and actually with the. Uh, Superman environment, which I had uh, booted up a couple times before, but not being an assembly programmer, really hadn't done much with. But I, I felt inspired and uh, tried to port both Integer Basic and a version, a compiled version of AppleSoft Basic to run in the Superman environment, but haven't been successful yet, just from some technical limitations that I don't know how to work around yet it's a i think it's a project that i'll I'll be working on for a while and it's something that martin had mentioned being a possibility maybe two years ago when he first discussed it maybe maybe three i kind of wanted to be the first to get that done but i don't know if i'm the right person to do that well it's really cool to hear both of you so keen on trying this or having already tried it because a lot of these programming utilities that are being released for the apple II nowadays they, their genesis isn't in wanting to develop a product for the masses. These are things that the programmers themselves find useful for their own needs, and then they clean it up and push it out there to see what other people can do with it. And unfortunately, there are so few developers left in the Apple II community, the full extent of their potential isn't always realized or appreciated. Hearing that you two get it, I'm sure, is very encouraging for Martin. Wayne, you obviously enjoyed Martin's session. Were there others that stuck out in your memory? I really enjoyed uh, Randy's session on the history of Beagle Brothers and the the timeout series and just all the Beagle products. I I actually uh, am a little bit more of a fan of the older Beagle products, which you know, like uh, the Big U and Beagle Graphics and some of the ones he discussed at the beginning of his presentation. I really didn't 
ever use a lot of the timeout stuff. And unfortunately, I had to I had to take a call during the second half of a session, so I'm really waiting to, to see that uh, come up on video so I can finish watching that. But that was one of the most interesting sessions I attended. And Brian Weiser was in attendance for that session. He said that Kansas Fest 2012 was fortunate to have two keynote speakers, not only the one that kicked off the event, which we'll talk about later, but also Randy's, which went for almost two hours with the history of AppleWorks and more. I think this was Randy's first time at Kansas Fest in 20 years, and it was pretty impressive to have him there. And what about you, Jeremy? Your favorite session? I think my favorite, uh, honestly, was Randy's also. Um, you know, his stories. The, the thing that, that I thought was most interesting was... Um, the drive that seemed to propel him towards computers and programming. And I think, you know, I don't want to compare myself to Randy, but um, I felt the same drive. And it was interesting to see where that took him. So for me, that, that, was, that was probably the session that, that I liked the most. Um, to bring up a, a third one, uh, but, you know, Tony Diaz's session about uh, rescuing the, the Prince of Persia source was just incredible some of the hardware that, that they had on hand in order to um, uh, archive the, the, the basically the magnetic flux of the, the disks um, and things like that were just astounding. It's unfortunate that Jason Scott wasn't able to attend Kansas Fest like he originally intended because he and Tony obviously collaborated to save Jordan Beckner's source code and to have the two of them presenting that session together would have made a fantastic session even better. Uh, but for those who didn't attend the session, there is an excellent article on Wired.com, a link to which will be in the show notes. They had reporters and photographers on site the night that the recovery occurred, and so they, in my opinion, presented the best write-up of that event. It's interesting, between Martin Hayes' session and Randy Brands, it sounds like you three enjoyed the most esoteric and the broadest appeal sessions, and nothing in between. Well, I think I, I would be willing to say that I enjoyed most of the things in between, but um, the ones that stood out certainly were, were those. Cool. Now, we talked about Randy Brandt sort of being a keynote speaker, but the official keynote speaker this year was John Romero, co-founder of id Software and creator of games such as Wolfenstein 3D, Doom, and Quake. Paul, what did you think of this year's keynote speech? Obviously, you don't have any past Kansas Fests to compare it to, but I'm still interested in hearing what you thought about how we kicked off the week. Well, it was, I mean, it was, it was very interesting. Um, I, it's possible that I came to this, I, I didn't actually spend that much time with games when I was, when I was, you know, the, back in the day. <laughs> and so, um, I, I wasn't as starstruck as I might have been, I think, <laughs> you know, he, he came, um, so I sort of enjoyed the ability to, to just kind of hear him talking about, um, you know, just what it was like developing games kind of only only coming to realize just how influential he was as as he went through that um but uh but it was he was a very good speaker um and uh and it was and he went through he sort of went through the influence that the, the Apple II had on on gaming generally uh, it was and and actually the the session he followed that up with a, another session which seemed just to sort of flow from it and just uh you know contained continuing reminiscing about uh, the the development of gaming on the Apple II and then generally and and it was um yeah it was he was a very good speaker. I have videos of both those sessions and as you say they flow so well that I'm wondering if I should upload them as two separate videos or as one because it it just seems like one big session to me. The other interesting thing from his keynote was the yeah, kind of the implicit progression from a game being something that one person did 
you know, back in the, you know, the early Apple II days, it was, you know, uh, kind of one master who, who put the whole thing together. He was, he talked a bit about, you know, the, the development of, uh, Wolf 3D and, and Doom, where it was basically three Carmack and, and Romero and I think a third person, I don't recall the name. And, and now you've got teams of people, you know, building these incredibly complex projects. But the stories from the early days of some of these quirky people putting together games, um, he tells the story about somebody who dictated his, his code. It was just incredible. You know, just dictating it to a secretary and then they'd go off and type it in and it would just work apparently. It's absolutely nuts. Yeah, that was, that was one of the most amazing anecdotes I'd ever heard. And uh, I, I believe that we use that as the, as part of a, a joke many, many times during the remainder of the week. Just, <laughs> people just kept bringing it up over and over again. It was just an incredible story. Yeah, there was even some discussion on the KFS email list asking, who, who who was that programmer Romero was telling us about? And it's in the video. We just need to go back and figure it out. But it doesn't seem anybody was taking notes. As for the other person who I think you were saying either developed Wolf 3D or co-founded id, which, which was it? Because the other names that I have are Tom Hall was a designer for Wolf 3D. Uh, there was an Adrian Carmack, as opposed to John Carmack. And then there was also Lane Roth, who was in attendance at Kansas Fest and is a co-founder of id Software. He was a former KFest keynote speaker. And when he heard his old cohort, John Romero, was going to be in attendance, he showed up too. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it was a nice little reunion, an unexpected one for Romero. But I was also unaware at how quickly Romero and crew were churning out games for was that soft disk yes and then the other magazine that kind of spun off from that that was uh very cool and something that i've heard from many developers is you can develop games that don't work uh, but you just have to continue to do it over and over again and it gives you a better appreciation of of what works so that you can design something great at some Mm -hmm. point in the future now, Wayne, with you being such a gaming-focused individual, I assume that Romero probably did have a little bit of star power for you? He did. Um, it, it was very interesting to to just meet him, uh, especially from, you know, just the, you know, the anecdotes you hear about him. But he was about as down-to-earth a guy as that I've ever heard her talk. And perhaps that was the small small number of people in attendance, but I just was just totally enthralled and, uh, you know, kind of got into that zone of just, you know, listening to every single word and not looking around because he was just telling such great stories and in such a very natural way. Yeah, the two things that impressed me most about Romero, besides his affability, and you're right, the small crowd may have had something to do with that, was, one, he was really focused on his audience. His presentation was all about the Apple II. And this is a guy who 20 years ago made his fame with a DOS game, Wolfenstein 3D. And he could have easily talked about how that came about and everything he's done since then. But instead, he went even further back and focused on the things the audience really wanted to hear, which is very conscientious of him. And secondly, was the amount of research he put into his presentation. He interviewed people like Bill Budge and Jordan Mechner and Will Wright and Margot Comstock and getting all these stories about the Apple II. It was almost like we had this channel into the biggest and brightest names in game development history, both past and present. 
and it all came to us through Romero in a way that none of us could have accessed, but he did for us. And I thought that was very cool. Yeah, he clearly felt the same kind of reverence for the for the Apple II that I think everybody at, at Kansas felt, uh, feels. You know, he got his start on on that hardware, and there's a special place in his heart for the the, the Apple II, and and I think he shares that with uh, with with us. Or <laughs> certainly, if he doesn't, he he sure he sure uh, told stories though he does. Yeah, and it was impressive that he came all the way to Kansas Fest just to tell those stories. Unfortunately, he was in Kansas City for fewer than 24 hours. He was at Kansas Fest for only about four or five hours. And although we wish he could have stayed the whole time, we know that a celebrity like him has a very busy schedule. And the fact that he still took time out of his schedule to spend more time going to and from Kansas Fest than he actually spent being there shows just how excited he was to accept this opportunity and how willing he was to... Uh, accommodate us, which I think is speaks very highly of his character. And you know, he, as Wayne said, he just couldn't have been a nicer guy. I didn't know that he had been to Kansas Fest, whatever, twenty years ago, and had shown some of the first builds of Wolf 3D there. Uh, that was that was interesting. He only only barely touched on that, but I, that was something I, I just never knew from you know any of the folklore that that I've heard. Yeah, that was new to me as well. Sounds like he was actually able to debut Wolfenstein 3D in the presence of Silas Warner, who invented Castle Wolfenstein. I can only imagine how nerve-wracking that must have been for Romero. Yeah. I mean, what if Silas didn't approve? But it sounds like everybody got along. One thing that I, that I remember from his uh, from Romero's keynote is is him mentioning that he had. I think I think he has one of two uh, pristine entire runs of Soft Talk magazine. Um, which I, I sort of found impressive, and I think that also, you know, lends him extra credibility as, as a, you know, truly devoted to this because that's, uh, that is, uh, that's something, you know, an unbelievable collector's item. Uh, this, the Soft Talk magazine. One, actually, one of the highlights for me was, was that, um, oh, who brought them? <laughs> Stavros, I think, uh, brought, a bunch of a bunch of old soft talk uh, magazines and and handed them off to me, uh, which was great for me because I had this was this was one of the things I I kind of grew up on and it was uh, very sort of central to the to the Apple II you know community I think in fact actually I believe they gave out a year for free to everyone who bought an Apple II so so it was um, but it was it was somehow it was a very sort of central uh, central magazine with a good kind of heart uh, and a good sort of character uh, that that sort of appealed to everybody and so so um it was i i, I was sort of impressed that that uh, he was you know so conscious of that <laughs> you know that this is that that he he and i and probably you know many agree on the on the the kind of um i don't know gem that the magazine was and and he talked a lot about what he's been doing to preserve the stories from the early days of of home computing and gaming and and what he plans to do um, he's, he, you know, he's still in the industry making games today, but he's also looking back, um, and trying to preserve that history. And now he's also one of the recipients of the Apple II Forever Award. People may have asked, you know, what does the guy who invented Wolf 3D do to earn an Apple II Award? But after attending that session, I think it was pretty obvious that he, as well as anybody else who has received that award, certainly has earned it and deserves it. So there's a lot more to talk about this year's Kansas Fest, but while we're on the subject of keynote speakers, I want to look to the future a little bit and ask each of you, starting with Wayne, who would you like to see as 
the keynote speaker for Kansas Fest 2013, which is the 25th annual Kansas Fest. Like many other people, uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of applied engineering hardware products. I, I didn't really have many growing up, but I, I definitely got the catalog, and they supported the Apple II for, for a very long time. And I, I just really want to hear about some of the ideas that they had and how they really pushed the platform in many ways. It's just so interesting that there are products that they made that no one else did uh, and no one else seemed to replicate, uh, at least at the quality that they did. The, the PC transporter bringing the, the PC to the, you know, to the Apple was pretty unique, as well as just you know, all of their memory and, and uh, accelerators and, and everything just were things that I'm, I'm sure Apple wasn't really thinking about when they designed the computer, but you know, in many ways, that they kept the platform moving forward when when Apple had stopped moving forward. So you you would like to see at Kansas Fest, like the former company president or one of the technicians or somebody like that. I I think someone who is more of a you know in the projects or product or project leads positions, mm -hmm. perhaps the CEO. I really don't know a, a lot about the the structure of of the company. If uh, the CEO was involved in you know all of the product ideas or if that came from a, a different department just but wh whoever really kept coming up with unique ideas you know into the late 80s and, and early 90s mm -hmm. and what about you jeremy who's your vote to kick off kansas fest 2013 so i i think it'd be interesting if uh ewan wena did a keynote speech at, at uh, kansas fest this is this is a history of the gs that kind of is my black spot when I, when I'd left the platform and uh, when 95, uh, the internet was getting big, um, and, you know, the development of spectrum and Marinetti and, and getting, you know, the GS network is something I, I still haven't done, uh, and haven't experimented with, but just the, the, the effort and the getting that project off the ground and, and what it took, I'd be really interested in that story. And and now Spectrum has been uh, released to freeware, you know, contributing that, you know, to the community is just great. And of course, Ewan was one of the recipients of the Apple II Forever Award this year, and he also made a remote appearance via video at the Friday Night Banquet. And a couple of people who were in the audience, I think it was Ivan and Martin, they later commented to me, Ewan was nothing like what we thought he'd be. And I'm not exactly sure what they meant by that, but it was very funny to hear. Yeah, I, I, I'd never seen him before, before that, uh, that video was played. So, um, I, it wasn't what I expected either. Well, I, it'd be cool if he can come back to Kansas Fest because he's been there before and make a uh, guest appearance, whether or not it's as a keynote speaker. And Mr. Paul. I mean, one of the things about being, being, you know, this being my first one is that, uh, I haven't seen any of the ones that came before. Um, there's, so the, I mean, there's, it seems like a sort of a milestone, uh, and it would be, it would be sort of interesting to, to, um, bring in someone maybe more central. But it was, as I understand it, um, Steve Wozniak came several years ago. Is that correct? Yes. He was the keynote speaker at Kansas Fest 2003. The, uh, yeah, so I was just thinking, you know, it does seem like, it does seem like, it's, you know, it's a bit surprising and interesting that the, the, the convention is still happening. Uh, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, Tom Weiser, uh, was, was kind of responsible for the conference just before Kansas Fest, or maybe actually did he start Kansas Fest? I think the whole rigmarole was started by Resource Central, which includes Tom Weiser, 
Tom Vanderpool, Dennis Doms, and several others. Okay, because I mean, it might be interesting to to if any of them are still, you know, um, uh, sort of active, to to have one of them. I, actually, yeah, this um, I had not given this much thought ahead of time, uh, so I don't have any any strong ideas about who I'd like to see. Well, that's fair enough, because I sent you a list of questions ahead of time, and this wasn't one of them. How dare I catch you off guard? You might think that this wasn't scripted or something. I could provide another name, maybe, for Paul. Okay. Somebody like Andy Hertzfeld, who was uh, around Apple in the earlier days. Um, now, he did a lot of work on the early Macintosh. He did do some work on the Apple II, but I'm not sure what that was. Um, you know, he's, uh, But he's definitely got, you know, he's, he's, he ran the folklore.org website. I think it's still there. Um, so he's got, you know, a sense of the story, the history of, of computing. Uh, it'd be interesting to have him talk to us. Or maybe somebody else who was there back then, like Chris Espinoza, who's still at Apple? Yeah, definitely. Cool. All right, well, we'll keep all those under advisement. I am sort of doing double duty here, switching hats, because I'm also on the Kansas House Planning Committee, and we're not looking at keynote speakers for next year yet. We're still kind of recovering from this past year, but we're always open to ideas, and we always add names to the list for consideration. So thanks for adding those suggestions. So back to Kansas Fest 2012, we talked a little bit about the coolest things you saw in people's dorm rooms, in the exhibit hall, at the sessions. What's the neatest thing that you went home with that you didn't go to Kansas Fest with? Let's start with Wayne. Well, uh, I came home with a, a completed uh, replica one. I actually had purchased one a couple months back and hadn't really made much headway on it, but used the session for building it as a, as a chance to actually get that done. Just extremely excited about that. I, I picked up a lot of hardware, actually. I also picked up a proto board, which I'm kind of excited for. But definitely the replica one is the is the highlight of, of what I got. Mike Willegal, developer of the Super Proto board, was not at Kansas Fest, but he sent me there with some boards to sell for him, just like he did last year with the brain board. And I was a little bit surprised. Last year... I sold maybe four or five brain boards, and that was a product that I, underst I understood what it did after a little bit of explanation. The Super Proto board outsold the brain board, and its function completely eludes me. Wayne, can you try to clarify exactly what the Super Proto board is? It basically is a way for you to experiment with designing you know, a peripheral board for, for the Apple II, but he's done some work ahead of time, like put in... Uh, a UART, which is, allows some serial communication to happen so that you don't have to do that. The portion that actually interfaces with the Apple, and you can kind of deal at the, the next level up uh, with stuff you might be more familiar with. It, it kind of gives you a jump start on uh, you know whatever idea you might have had forever, in my case, for, uh, for a new board for the Apple II. Is the Super Proto board a one-use-only board, like you design and build and, or test something with it, and then it's done? It could be. If that's how you wanted to, to, to work with it, you could definitely, uh, if you came up with a design for a one-off thing that you just solved an itch that you wanted, you could definitely use it as a, as a final platform, but it also could be used as an experimentation platform uh, as well. And you can use that? You can use the Super Proto board for that function multiple times? Yes. Yep. Cool. So this isn't something like you drop 60 bucks on something to try it once, and if it works or it doesn't work, you have to go back to Mike Legal and buy another one. That's not the case. That's not the case. That's cool. 
Uh, Jeremy and Paul, did either of you participate in Vince Briel's workshop? Um, I, I yeah, I did. Um, I, Jeremy, did you also? I I did not. I I actually built a replica one uh, about a year and a half before attending Kansas West. Uh, so uh, and I was working on Hackfest instead. Uh, I passed on on Vince's session this year. So, Paul, what did you build? Yeah, I did uh, build um, Replica 1 this time, uh, and I, I kind of went into this... Vince has a, a kind of a reputation, at least uh, recently, of, of being able to hold these workshops where people who have never soldered before can come out with a working thing. And um, uh, I took something which was a bit of a it, it was it was a bit of a challenge uh to you know like I took something that was sort of intermediate level but um I was really kind of excited about this possibility of of creating of uh you know this this replica apple one I had not soldered before uh I came in with a soldering iron that <laughs> apparently did not work at all and I think I have the I, I was the uh the last one to finish uh on the on the day that he held this workshop if I recall correctly it started at 7 um we tested mine and worked uh, at about 4:30 a.m. <laughs> but uh, but it but it did work and I came home with that and I think that's probably that is probably one of the the um, you know sort of highlights of my my acquisitions. I I, um, I also got one of the proto boards because I was so enthusiastic about the the idea that I might be able to solder at the end of this. So uh, I don't yet have a plan for it. But very cool. And what about you, Jeremy? What did you go home with? I brought home um, a copy of the new Apple II user's guide. Which is just great. I'm uh, I'm probably a quarter of the way through it. I'm in chapter six or so. Yeah, it's jogging a lot of old memories. It's been years since I did any basic programming. Yeah, it's great. I was the one selling that book at Kansas Fest, but it was so popular that I wasn't actually left with a copy for myself. It's over 700 pages, which is rather daunting. Do you find that it's well written? Is it comprehensive? Is it you know, well organized? Uh, so far, so good. Like I say, I'm about a quarter of the way through. Um, it's it's very well written. Seems comprehensive from what I've read so far. Yeah, I think you know. From I'm mostly in the in the sections of regarding basic. It's got everything I remember from from back in those days. Excellent. He certainly filled a niche with that book, given how popular it made my table at the vendor fair. Yeah, it was a long line. I, I waited <laughs> quite, quite a while for it to to. Lighten up. Well, I appreciate your patience. <laughs> I think, if I'm not mistaken, there's actually a picture of you buying it. In fact, Jeremy. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I think I did see that. I think Andy Malloy snapped that photo. Of course, the people who got in line to buy the new Apple II user's guide without renewing their Juicy Yes subscription got the evil eye from me. <laughs> well, I set up a new subscription, so <laughs> I don't know what that got me. Maybe I should have set up some sort of arrangement with David where you get Juice Yes and his book for a discounted bundle price. Hmm, maybe next year. Given that development in the, in the Apple II community continues to this day, I'm sure that his book will probably need updates, whether that's a second printing or a new edition or an addendum or an errata that comes out via email. I don't know, but I hope we haven't heard the last of this book and Mr. Finnegan. Definitely not. Yeah. Yeah, he's actually been posting on the news group a lot. One one thing that maybe I'll also just put in here. I'm not sure exactly if it fits here, but but I was just thinking that, uh, you know, the, so there is some development that's going on in terms of hardware and stuff. Uh, one of the things that sort of made a bit of of a, of a splash, you know, 
relatively recently, but uh, particularly just recently because there was a new run, was the um, CFFA 3000 uh, card, which is you know, which is a way that you can. Um, it's a card that you can put in an Apple II and actually goes in an Apple III uh, as well. And there's a version of it for the Apple One uh, that allows you to use a compact flash card as a as a sort of large storage relative to an Apple II. But um, the and so. There was a, a new run recently. It was, I think, he ordered 500 cards. And one of the things I wanted to point out about that is that on uh, this is Rich Dreyer, uh, who developed it, and he sells it on his store. And he actually gives a list of uh, in his on his store. He says how many are left. Uh, he ordered 500, and and it appears that over 300 have sold, which is sort of amazing, actually. I mean, you know, there were a lot of us at Kansas Fest. I thought that was kind of a large group, but it's even more surprising, I think, that there were, you know. Over 300 people who wanted another wanted this card for the Apple II that was that uh, you know allows you to use it in the modern age, and that's in addition to the first batch that sold out last summer. So why aren't all these CFFA 3000 buyers coming to Kansas Fest? I would say my CFFA 3000 is uh, is an element of why I went this year. Though um, my GS was basically dead, the uh, the hard drives wouldn't spin up anymore, and um, um, I, thankfully I imaged them years ago. Uh, so I, I picked up, I actually got two CFFA 3000s, loaded it up with the disc images I made years ago, and, and it's, it came back to life. And if, if I didn't have a system that was working, it wouldn't have spurred me on to kind of get back into the Apple II, and I probably wouldn't have come. Wait, I thought it was RCR that got you to come. <laughs> There's a number of reasons. I mentioned RCR just to, just to push your buttons. You're voted off this show. <laughs> Fine. My CFFA 3000 actually shipped about a week ago and has arrived. I'm currently out of town traveling, but I'm very heartened to know that it's sitting there waiting for me when I get back. I actually had a blog post up a couple of days ago asking, what should I do with my CFFA 3000? Because I have mostly imaged my discs using ADT Pro and my Lance GS and my Ethernet card. And so I'm wondering what's left to do with the CFFA 3000. That's not exactly a KFS subject, but I'm still curious to hear. Jeremy, what do you recommend I do with my card? Personally, I, I just loaded it up with, with the disk images of my hard drive that I, I made years ago uh, to re- re- recover the machine. The other thing I do with it, actually, is um, I've got CC65, uh, the C cross-compiler, running on my Mac. And I I can compile programs and you know, uh, load them up onto a USB stick and then plug it into my Apple IIe and, and run them. And that's pretty much how I do development now. And what sort of things are you developing? Well, I, uh, I've written a uh, typing tutor for the Replica One that uh, my son uh, actually used to learn to type. Uh, he likes the keyboard on the Replica One best, so he said he wanted to learn to type on that one. But there was no typing tutor, so I, I had to write one. Wow. So I, I did that. Um, at, at work, we, um, we started uh, hiring people based on uh, their implementations. One of the things we look at is we ask them to implement a, a version of tic-tac-toe. So actually, um, I coded that up first in Perl on the Mac, then to C, and then, then I ported it over to the Apple II. So I've got it running on the 2E and the, and the Replica one. Um, just as kind of a, can I do it? How, you know, how hard would it be? Nice. Now, speaking of development, let's stick with Jeremy for a moment. This was your very first Kansas Fest, and you dove right in and not only entered, but won the HackFest competition. Where did you get your idea, and what was it? Well, prior to Kansas Fest, there was uh, some emails going around on the mailing list uh, 
asking people what hardware they were going to bring to Kansas Fest. I was flying, and I didn't. I I, I wish I could actually bring my uh, my replica one, but it, you know it's in a nice wooden case, and I just didn't want to risk it. And I just didn't feel comfortable bringing hardware, so I I, I wimped out. But I, I replied to the, the thread saying I was going to bring a Curta calculator, which is kind of a pepper mill-shaped mechanical calculator from the 50s and 60s. That's kind of crazy. So I thought people would be interested to see that. And I wasn't going to do anything for HackFest, but people were spurring me on, challenging me to, to come up with something. And I was thinking about it, and I decided I'd write a Curta emulator where, you know, on the Curta you crank it to do operations, so I figured you could crank the joystick to uh, to do the same kind of thing. And that's what I did. So I coded it up. And, uh, yeah, I guess it came out pretty good. And what language is that developed in? I did that in CC65. C, C is just uh, second nature to me. It would have been a stretch for me to do it in BASIC, to be honest. And heaven forbid you challenge yourself at HackFest. <laughs> now, how did you balance the time it takes to hack at Kansas Fest with your desire to actually be present and attending this event. Usually the people who are entering HackFest lock themselves in their room and they don't see anybody and nobody sees them. And that probably would not have left a very good impression of your first Kansas Fest, but it nonetheless sounds like you didn't miss much. I attended most sessions. Um, I, I, I missed uh, I missed one in the morning. I think it was my, maybe yours, Ken, because I was up late that night. Uh um, the, the night before working on it, I, I had one night where I stayed up till about 4 a.m. and, uh, and I got all the graphics the way I wanted them and the, uh, the joystick controls the way I wanted them. Um, the only thing left to do was some sound that was, would have been a nice to have that I, I did get done. And I was, I was spending a lot of time between sessions where I'd just open up the Mac and, uh, you know, write a, f- a few more lines. And, but yeah, I slipped it in here and there and, and, and got it done. Excellent. I'm glad that you were able to engage in all aspects of Kansas Fest. Yeah, I was, I was happy to, to, it, it was, it was fun to actually do something. I was, I was, um, it added another element uh, to the, the sessions and, and to the event to, to be, uh, building something. Now, I don't know if this is something you can talk about, but if I recall correctly, you have another project in mind that you might be showing at Kansas Fest 2013. Is that something you can share with us? Yeah, yeah. This, if I tell people about it, then maybe it'll get me to do it. Um, I've been working on um, LLVM, uh, which is a compiler technology that uh, an open source compiler technology is actually what Apple is currently using and, and uh, um, trying to get it to cross compile to the six five eight sixteen. So I've talked about using CC65, and if there's any one thing that's got me back into coding on the Apple, it's CC65. Uh, it's a great environment, but it produces 8-bit code. Um, I'd love to be able to to have something similar for the GS. Um, so that's what I'm trying to do. Um, I was hoping to have something that was running for, for Kansas Fest. I was actually spending a lot of time before I decided to do HackFest trying to get it done during Kansas Fest. It's not going to be, you know, it's going to be months. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Sounds like a big project. It's a very big project. Um, and, and LVM may not scale down. Uh, it may be a lost cause. But towards the, that end, I never owned a copy of Orca M. I uh, bought a copy of Orca M uh, uh, a couple months before Kansas Fest. My goal is to have the compiler spitting out Orca M source code, at least as a first step, uh, that then you could assemble. 
So we'll see. Do you have a blog where you're keeping people updated with your progress? Afraid not. I, I don't know. No. <laughs> well, maybe if you were blogging, you wouldn't have time to be programming. Yeah, I pretty much, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not that kind of guy, I guess. I don't know. And moving on, Professor Hagstrom, I understand you were also a contestant in this year's Hackfest. Well, sort of. I, I, um, I, I had, uh, I sort of had intentions to be. I think uh, in the end, I kind of didn't quite make it. Uh, it turns out, um, I, I think I had kind of the same. It was actually sort of the same in the cafeteria. You know, I would go, I was, you know, just sort of get everything, and uh, it turns out they're just, you know, can't eat it all. Uh, and, and and with uh, with the Kansas Fest, it's just you can't do it all. Uh, also, I, I um, would advise anyone who's coming in the future to um, sleep ahead of time uh which is one thing i didn't do but um yeah i had so i did i did have a hackfest project and and i did make uh, a fair ways into it and um didn't get it close enough to really kind of display um although i think i'm going to finish it anyway because uh first of all i've gotten far enough along that i can't use it next year um but uh it's it's sort of an it's sort of a you know challenge now um uh, but the project is uh essentially when what happened to me uh you know I was mentioning that I had gone back to the childhood apple II and was trying to image discs and at that point I was actually trying to use ADT Pro with the audio the cassette connection uh which is a nightmare um it does work but it's uh but it is kind of a nightmare and and I think I had I had sort of succeeded before, but I but the most recent time I had gone back, the something had changed about the Mac hardware that I was trying to connect it with, and it was actually no longer able to communicate over the cassette port. So um, at that point, I kind of had an idea um, that you know maybe one way that I could get the data out would be on the screen. So um, what I was sort of attempting to do at Kansas Fest was to make a, a QR code generator that would sort of read the disk and generate QR codes that you could then, you know, photograph with your phone <laughs> and get the data out. Um, sort of silly. It's probably very low bandwidth, but it, but it also seemed like an interesting kind of thing that it would be able to do. But I actually got to, so as far as I got was was kind of trying to decipher the QR code specifications. I think it's possible, though. So you didn't necessarily have anything functioning that you could have shown to the judges? Right. I, I mean, what it, what it was able to do was, you know, draw the, the boxes and the timing lines, um, but uh, but the QR code actually requires a certain amount of error correction math that uh, that I had to figure out first and then program. So um, so I really only kind of got something that would display the skeleton of a, of a QR code and, and then decided I'd rather see the sessions. Huh. So it sounds like you are quite the Renaissance man, a linguistics professor hacking in the mathematics. Uh, well, you know, uh, it's, it's, uh, I think, I think with the, it's, it's, you know, computer math. It's the sort of math that, uh, uh you do as a computer hacker of a sort. Mm -hmm. Cool. And Mr. Wayne, I understand you were not a Hackfest entrant this year, so I'd like to ask you what you thought of the entries that you did see. Uh, they were very cool, uh, especially Martin and, uh, Ivan's. Those were things that we had, some of them were we had discussed earlier in the in the week getting the uh, labeled go tos to work. Uh, so instead of using numbers for go tos and go subs, but to actually use labels instead, it's something that uh, Ivan has been working on for a while. To finally see that done, uh, it's a hackfest entry. It was really cool, and, and Martin getting uh, adding the ability for Superman to be used inside of Protoss was also very exciting because it, it kind of opens up another 
a platform that you can use Supermon to compile to. I saw the Magic Go sub that Ivan demonstrated, which I believe is built off Slammer that he released a couple of years ago. But Martin's Hackfest, I thought he had done something on the Apple III. I think he was looking at video modes on the Apple III, wasn't he? I think he got the Apple III to draw the word Kansas Fest or K-Fest. Yeah. Then I don't remember when he did the other one. I apologize. Maybe that was part of his session. Not only was he showing the short language, but I think he expanded NakedOS into Naked Dev. Yeah, Martin was one of uh, two Apple III entries in this year's Hackfest, and I don't think we'd ever had an Apple III entry before. We'd had Apple One or Replica One way back in 2004. It wasn't until actually Kansas Fest concluded that Eric Shepard, who started this whole competition, he and I went back and actually revised the Hackfest rules to allow for the Apple III, because technically they weren't allowed, and that was more of an oversight than an actual conscious decision. But I thought it was very cool to see that platform being a part of this competition. Yeah, it's, it is, it is a, an, interesting, an interesting cousin. Uh, that, that I certainly didn't, didn't not know much, I, I didn't know much about the Apple III prior. Um, but it, but it is, it's so alike and then there's interesting little differences. It's, uh, uh, it's nice that, it's nice to actually be able to see one, uh, because they, they were not part of my experience back in the, in the 80s. I think for many people, Kansas Fest is just about the only place they will see an Apple III nowadays. So we've talked about all the great things that made Kansas Fest 2012 so memorable. What sort of things could have been improved upon for a future Kansas Fest? Jeremy? Hmm, I'm not sure. Um, maybe a bite-the-bag um, practice session for the newbies that are, that are a little curious but not sure they want to uh, participate. Did you participate this year? No, I didn't. I, I, I considered it, but I decided to just watch. Um, I think if I, if I had a chance to kind of try it out and see if I could pull it off, at least, uh, you know, with a with the full standing bag, then maybe I might have tried, but uh, I, I just wasn't entirely sure what I was getting myself into. Well, there is a video on YouTube that shows how to play Bite the Bag, but there are different variations and house rules, and that video doesn't exactly show the way we play, but there are complete hour-and-a-half-long videos of entire Kansas Fest Bite the Bag competitions on YouTube. So if you ever want to study the techniques and strategies of those who have won in the past, it's all there laid out for you. I wouldn't have been competitive, that's for sure. I can't <laughs> believe how, how well people were able to get that thing off the ground. Yeah, it's you wouldn't expect that kind of agility from a bunch of computer geeks. Well, what about you, Paul? What would you like to see new and improved next year? Well, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult question. Um, I think really uh, what what ended up, being for me, you know, the the limiting factor was just time, you know, and uh, so if there's some way that you could make eight days fit in six, um, that would be uh, that would be, I think, the, the best thing. But um, otherwise, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think I have, uh, yeah, nothing, nothing leaps to mind as as to what I would like to be different next year to make it better. I think, I think that um, just, you know, there was just all the time was full. Um, you know, the the thing that needs that would be better for next year is the thing I mentioned before. You know, a sort of a, a personal thing, which is um, sleep ahead of time, so you don't have to sleep during those six days. Yeah, it'd be nice if you could just bank all your sleep and then draw upon it as necessary. Right. There was a time when Kansas Fest would start on Wednesday and everybody would pull in that day, but then some people started arriving early and we added Tuesday as an optional day if they want to show up, and so many people showed up that it was no longer optional. So we just added that as an official day. And this year I found 
There were quite a few people who pulled into town on Monday night. I had dinner with three of them, and I saw an email saying that there were four or five other people just waste, uh, just killing time in hotels waiting for Kansas Fest to start. Weren't you one of those people, Wayne? I was. I actually was going to show up Tuesday, but there were no more spots available on the train. Uh, so that's that's why I showed up a day early rather than a day late. And why did you take the train? That, that seems like a very uh, inefficient way to get somewhere nowadays. Well, I've been taking the train a lot more over the last couple of years, and I just I enjoy the experience. I like being able to not have anyone call me or have no uh, real commitments on my time for for a complete day or on smaller trips for you know six hours where I can get reading or or programming or a little bit of gaming done. And it, I just really don't like to fly anymore. It's, I'm a little overweight, and it's just not enjoyable. And it also let me bring more Apple equipment with me than I would have been able to if I had flown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I say that the train is inefficient, I actually don't mean to slam it. I prefer the train because of all the reasons you mentioned and several others. What I was more referring to was the fact that last time I looked up taking the train to Kansas Fest, it costs as much as a flight, and took a heck of a lot longer and not everybody can get time off to go to Kansas Fest in the first place. So to add all that additional time for travel just seems like a lot to ask our attendees. Although it does, it is uh, the case that, uh, you know, the cost per hour is less. (laughs) Uh, Leave it to you to think of that. Yes. I I actually, I I certainly, for some reason, taking the train didn't even really occur to me. Um, and you know, it is far away from Boston, uh, by train, but, um, I'm certainly going to think about it next, uh, next time because flying is really, it, it really does keep you from bringing things, you know, um, and driving requires you to be awake. Uh, so, so the train is a kind of a nice, uh, a nice balance. You can, you can, you know, sort of doze off. You can, you, you have more space. You can walk around, uh, and you can bring things there and back. Uh, and you can show up five minutes before it leaves. Um, so, so there, I actually, um, I might well appear, uh, if I appear next year, I might well appear by train. Well, we should coordinate that, Paul, because I think this is the first year in my 15 years of going to Kansas Fest that I was not the sole representative of the Bay State. Which is interesting, uh, actually, because I I, uh, I think there are a number of people in Boston who are sort of candidates for going. But um, so perhaps we should also see if we can build the contingent. Yeah, I know we have Mike Willegal here, and he has been to VCF East down in New Jersey. And I think we have a gentleman named Ion Farmer, who I was supposed to have met at the demo party that was held back in June, but he had a personal issue get in the way, unfortunately, as things tend to happen. Uh, but yeah, there are certainly other Apple II users around here, and I don't know if it's enough to uh, branch off to Kansas Fest East, but you're you're right. We definitely should try to coordinate some travel and really represent, because historically, the state with the most representation at Kansas Fest is Nebraska, and there's just no reason for that. <laughs> well, we had three Canadians this year. That is true. We had Jeremy Carrington and Jeff Blakeney. Oh, and we had an Australian. That's right. Mm-hmm. Alex was there from Australia, and I understand he not only had his Walter robot to show, but he was also working on a Bluetooth card. Did anybody get to see that? Yes. Uh, I actually was working with him the, the night he finally had the breakthrough. It, it was pretty interesting. Currently, he was using a normal serial, and then he was still using the Bluetooth to you know communicate with the robot. Uh, 
but it was out of serial connection and then been through the the Bluetooth and then back out. He thought that there had to be a way to kind of shortcut that external uh, serial to go to the Bluetooth. And uh, he did get it working, but the, uh, the the thing that's missing is the the ROM that's normally in a serial card, which uh, would allow you to use it in in his case in, in logo or in other cases you know, a, a telecom program. It was definitely pretty uh, pretty cool when it when it finally. So you think this is something we'll be seeing available from either Alex or maybe uh, real computers in the future? I, I know there, that some people seem to, to be pretty interested in it. Uh, I think that the, the uses, at least at first, would be fairly limited. I probably would never have audio out or, or any of the other uh, devices that you think of when you think of Bluetooth. Uh, but for short-distance serial communication or, or devices that do stuff, uh, with zero communication, it, it's definitely uh, an option, and you know probably would have uh, you know a, pr- a pretty dis- decent uh, following if it if it were to get produced. Now, Wayne, even though you didn't enter Hackfest, you were busy presenting a session at this year's Kansas Fest, and I'd like to know next time you come to Kansas Fest, what session you'll present. I, I, I'm not a hundred percent certain. I, I'm really interested in uh, the double low res graphics mode. And uh, the fact that it barely, there, there's only one or two examples of it being used. And I, I would really like to find out a little bit about why it was created other than the fact that it could be created and why after it was created, it was so hard to actually actually use until uh, some of the later reversions of the Apple II C Plus and the, the GS, I think, were the were the two that supported it in a native way in BASIC. Hmm. Interesting. I'd like to attend that session. And what about you, Paul? Any chance we can get you on stage sometime soon? Oh, yeah. I, I, I think I would be definitely interested in, in presenting something. Um, I sort of... What ended up happening is, you know, that... Uh, Real, you know, real work gets in the way, and and uh, the time this Kansas Fest came up too quickly. But uh, one of the things about this kind of like mad, uh, you know, mad rush to acquire all this Apple stuff is that you know there I do have some sort of interesting things, you know, little interesting little toys that I wouldn't mind uh, demonstrating. And and uh, actually, one of the things that I have been kind of most interested in, I think, is is just ways in which the the apple can be connected to the outside world it's um it's funny actually that in the 80s you know it was just it was the computer under your uh, you know on your desk or whatever and and uh uh now when you when you're sort of sitting with these there is a sort of sense of isolation because every other computer in your life is connected to everything so um one of the things that has been sort of interesting to me is is looking at the ways that these things can be connected and you know so that my guess is that if i were to uh, present something, it might be either, you know, either or both, demoing some little, you know, rare. I, I, one of the things I, I got was a little, um, uh, I will soon have as a little Lego robot controller. So I'm sort of interested to, to play with that and show that off. But, um, but I think actually what I would really like, most likely present would be some sort of, some sort of interface project. Not only would that be a great session, I think it could even be a good series of articles for Juice GS. Uh-huh. Interesting. And what about you, Jeremy? What's your expertise that you can share with Kansas Fest? Probably cross-compilers. I've been talking about them <laughs> so much already, but I could I could uh, give a demo of CC65 and and how to use it to create you know programs for 
you know, the, the classic two. And if I have something to show on LVM, I might be able to show cross compiling to a GS. I think I'd like to see that because prior to this recording session, I'm not sure I've ever heard of CC65. I know Carrington Vanston gave a session on Inform 7, which could output code that you can run on the Apple II to create an interactive fiction or text adventure. And even that was mind-boggling. And that is probably less complex than what you're talking about. So the idea of seeing actual programming code like done on CC65 and put on the Apple II, that would be really cool. It kind of goes back to um, the podcast you did with the, the guys from Brutal Deluxe, where they talked about you know better tools, um, and and by doing by having a cross compiler like CC sixty five, you can take advantage of of the tools that you've got on on the more modern system. Uh, like I was using Git, for example, to manage my code for my Hackfest entry, just so I could not lose something. You know, I wouldn't lose something if I made a mistake or I decided I didn't like what I just did. So, uh, Ken, you, you actually use a program, uh, that was written in CC65. I don't know if often, but you have, but which is ADT Pro, the Apple client portion of it, uh, is done in CC65 and actually uses uh, a library, a small TCP IP library to, to do the over the Ethernet transfers of, of disk images. Fascinating. I had no idea. Thanks for sharing that, Wayne. Now, let's see. I think this show has been running about an hour and a half now, so maybe time to start wrapping up. I want to double-check. You all are coming to Kansas Fest 2013, if possible, right? Yep, if possible. Yes. Excellent. Because if you don't, I will hunt you down. So two more quick questions of the inspirational variety, one being, if you could come up with a slogan or a motto for Kansas Fest, what would it be? For example, we used to use the tagline Summer Camp for Geeks, and we've kind of moved away from that. Our logo currently has Apple II Forever, and we're probably going to keep that, even though it's not original. And so I just want to know, like, what is your tagline for Kansas Fest? Any ideas, Paul? Uh, uh, yeah, not really, no. the I, I did... I did kind of like the the um, the summer camp idea. Uh, I'm not sure exactly which part of it met with disapproval, um, but it does really have a feel of a of a summer camp, kind of going back to some some kind of uh, camp of that sort. Um, nope. Well, what about you, Jeremy? Less sleep, more apple twos. <laughs> I like it. That's very accurate. In fact, less sleep, more apple twos. Nice. And what about you, Wayne? Where people might actually know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like Radio Shack. You got questions, we got answers. I don't think Radio Shack can help you with your Apple II, though. No, no, I, I, don't, I don't think they can. I know that was kind of a strange question, but it was prompted by an email I received just this weekend from Brian Weiser, who also attended his first Kansas Fest this year, and he recently found himself writing a phrase in an email to another K-Fester that he wanted to share with me, and that phrase is, Kansas Fest is the home I never knew I had. And I just thought that was a nice encapsulation of the experience because you don't just go home having met the other attendees. Ideally, you go home having made new friends. And that's not something that can really be said for a lot of other events. Definitely. You know, I, I said I, I went to WWDC and, you know, I grabbed a few business cards and things like that. But there's, there's nothing lasting coming from that, that's for sure. But uh, uh, Kansas Fest seems different for sure. Yeah, it's not the kind of computer event that you go to with the intention of networking. Just the opposite, I, I think. And granted, there are ideas that come out of the collaborations that occur at Kansas Fest, but 
it's just so different from the more professionally oriented events where you're actually looking to further yourself as opposed to an idea. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's a it's a shared idea. It's a it's a it's a community. Right. And w- probably one of the last questions, Jeremy, if there was somebody who was thinking about going to Kansas Fest for the first time, you having just gone through that experience, what would you say to them? What advice would you give? For me, the the thing that changed was my my attitude towards Kansas Fest. Uh, in the past, I would think about all the reasons that I couldn't go. You know, my wife wouldn't want me to be away, or I couldn't justify spending the kind of money it would take to get there uh, on what is, you know, a fun hobby at most. And this year I just turned that all around and started asking the question the other way. Why couldn't I go this year? Why not? So I did. And, you know, I, I think that's the thing. You know, just turn, turn the logic around and you know, start asking yourself, why not? Why can't I go? Right. Instead of looking at the reasons you can't go, look at how to overcome the reasons you can't go. That's right. It's all in the mindset. Now, what about you, Paul? But I think so. I think this comes up often, and I think it must have been uh, attributed to someone I didn't uh, actually meet. But it's uh, too bad that I didn't. Um, uh, Ryan Suenaga, I think, would say uh, there won't always be a Kansas Fest. Was that his line? It certainly was. Um, and I mean, I think that's that's certainly something to to think about. I mean, um, as far as I can tell, there will be for some time. But uh, but you never do know. Uh, and it and you know we we all appreciate the immense amount of work that goes into actually making this happen. Uh, so it's certainly worth it to go, <clears throat> just so that you uh, have this experience while you can. Mm-hmm. That's certainly true. And what about you, Wayne? I think I would tell people that. Just being able to share your, your hobby with with other people in real time, it, it's so uh, exciting uh, after being in an online you know, message board or Usenet or IRC, but to, to actually interact with people who, who share this, this very niche hobby and, and, and to be able to, you know, have something... Being able to to talk about that when no one else you know, or perhaps no one else you know uh, on a regular basis, uh, you, you can talk that about. Uh, it's just really uh, lights the fire for you on uh, uh, on doing any little project that you're doing, or or or, or collecting, or or reading uh, in a way that the online forums just never can. That's right. A lot of people come home from Kansas Fest re-energized and inspired by all the things that the Apple II has the potential for. And the ideas that come out of Kansas Fest are sometimes things you see the fruits of right away, or sometimes things you don't see until next Kansas Fest. But either way, we all come away with something that we didn't have before, and that keeps us going until the next Kansas Fest. One of the things that I thought was sort of interesting was that um, immediately after Kansas Fest ended, you know, there were all these suggestions as to like what we need to do, what you know what these next things are that we need to do everybody was was uh, already planning the next Kansas Fest uh because you know this one ended too soon yeah we've already had emails on the list about what kind of sessions you want to see next year i remember when we got back from Kansas Fest 2011 last year there were a whole bunch of people who immediately went onto the website and submitted session ideas that they want to present the next year because they had those ideas while at Kansas Fest the schedule is already set and they want to make sure that there was room for them next year I think that's pretty cool. Uh, as you said, Kansas Fest will be occurring for some time to come, at least one more year. Kansas Fest 2013 will be happening. The dates have not been determined, but looking at the calendar, I can conclusively say it will start either July 16th or July 23rd. 
That would be consistent with many past Kansas Fests. As for which one of those, one of them conflicts with Comic-Con, the other does not. And we have no control over that because there are many other variables that go into when we are able to hold Kansas Fest. And that's really what it comes down to is not when we want to, but when can we. And every Kansas Fest conflicts with some other event. One potential attendee said that he would have come this year if it hadn't conflicted with hosting con, which was in Boston. And unfortunately, we just can't plan around everything or else Kansas Fest would never happen. So the trick, as Jeremy said, is just to make Kansas Fest your priority. And we hope that whenever the dates are next year, we will see all of you and then some. So I want to say thank you each to Jeremy, Paul, and Wayne. It's been great chatting with you and in two of the three cases, meeting you at Kansas Fest. And I certainly hope that we'll get together again, if not at Kansas Fest next year, then maybe even before then, especially you, Paul. I mean, you live right down the road. There's no reason that we can't (laughs) harass each other far more regularly. Indeed, yes. Great. Any parting shots? I'd just like to say thanks to Ken and the the rest of the Kansas Fest committee and, and all the other attendees that made me feel so comfortable and welcome. It was great. You're quite welcome, and thank you for coming. It was great to meet you. I would yes, I would definitely second that. Yes, it uh, it was a very it was a very welcoming community. Uh, I didn't. Most people were starting conversations with me. I also would like to give my thanks to the KFS committee, except for uh, Ken, who taught me about this horrible, horrible song that I hear <laughs> everywhere now. Then even hum a little afterwards, and I, I just uh, I don't know if I can ever forgive him for that. Wait, well, what is this? What song? Something about a phone number and calling me and... Maybe. Maybe. Oh, yeah. There might have been that. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Yeah, there's a reason that video hasn't been posted on the internet yet. But yeah, I'll get around to it. Anyway, sorry about that, and thanks again, guys. And it's been great talking to you. Talk to you soon. Great. Thanks, Ed. And finally, I'd like to give my thanks to not only the entire Kansas Fest committee and community, but to everybody who has ever used an Apple II and to everybody who has made the Open Apple podcast so much fun to produce and to listen to. I want to thank everyone who has been on the show and everyone who will be on the show as we continue producing episodes for some time to come. Let's hear from just a sample of the people who have made this show possible. This is Vince Friel. Hi, this is Steve Wired. Hi, this is Martin Hay. This is Jason Scott of TextFiles.com. This is Sheppy. Hi, this is David from the Retro Computing Roundtable. My name's Alon. And this is Ara. This is Carrington from 1 Megahertz. Hi, I'm Bob Bishop. Hi, this is Sean Fahey. Hi, this is Ivan Drucker. This is Ed Eastman. And this is Andy Malloy. Hi, this is Andrew Rowan. This is Randy Brandt from Beagle Brothers. Let's open Apple. Apple. Uh, does anybody know how to pronounce his last name? I do not. Uh, come on, the linguistics professor doesn't know. No, uh, no, uh, no. I, I don't. I can't say that for say for sure.